0: If you are new here or watching online, we just want to say we can't wait to get to know you. We're so happy that we're he- you are here, and we love you. At Eastlake, we like to say that you can belong here even before you believe. Last week, we uh, begun this collection of talks um, on mental health and talking about that, but what more than just talking about it, talking about what the truth of the Word of God says about mental illness mental health, and how Jesus and his example can help guide us through that terrain ourselves. We've called the series, of course, Are You Okay? And last week, we began with looking at a few hacks to happiness, and we looked at what research and science tells us about being happy. And some of those keys are awesome. And we should apply them. And I saw people posting um, their five gratitudes on Friday and Saturday. And and I saw actually some of my friends picking that up and going, hey, I'm going to do this and share this as well. But what we looked at most of all is that you can take all of these uh, research examples from science, but you must also take Paul's prescription from Philippians 4 verse 4, which says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And so today, we're about to navigate through this topic that we call suicide, depression, and anxiety. And I've anticipated this morning that it's going to be a little bit of a heavier service. And it's going to be emotional. And for some of you here this morning, I know that it's raw, that it's speaking directly to your circumstances. And so I want to ask you as a church to hear this with an open heart, to hear it and ask God, hey, what are you teaching me this morning? What are you saying to me this morning? This Josh guy, I'm not sure about him. He might say some stuff that's weird, but God, what do you want to speak to me about this morning? Are we ready to navigate it? Let's do it. If I look at my notes, I'm pretty sure it's going to tell me that I was supposed to mention Cambodia. We had a family chat down here uh, a few weeks back about writing letters to the children in Cambodia that we sponsor and transform. And and we shared a stat that only three letters had been written. And we had more than three people come to us and say, we wrote letters. (laughs) And so we looked into it. It was 12. Still, 12 out of 200 wasn't good enough. But I can tell you that in the last four weeks, we've bumped it up to about 36 letters. And we're planning a letter writing day for those of you who sponsor kids in Transform Cambodia, or even if you don't, to come on that Sunday and write to the kids that are sponsored and those that are unsponsored. And I think that's going to be awesome. And I want to stop and say thank you, church, for sponsoring those kids and supporting us in that. Are we good? Let's look at the scripture for today. It comes from 1 Kings 19 Chapter, nine, chapter 19, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to have a drink as you find it. or wait to look on the screen. Verse 1 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. And ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time. Everyone say second time. time. And touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. We're going to spend this next 20, 30, what do preachers say, 50 minutes (laughs) journeying through this scripture. And the title of the message this morning is The Suicide Deception. The Suicide Deception. Would you pray with me? Let's do it. Dear Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to your people. Lord, you promise that you will. You promise that your presence is with us, that you dwell here among us as we gather together in your name. Lord, our heart is to worship you. Our heart is to lift you on high. Would you bring healing, hope, peace to us this morning as we open ourselves up to you? In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. amen. I love Apple products. I'm an Apple nerd. I'm one of those guys that teases you if you've got anything else other than Apple. What does the Bible say? Talks about the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? I don't hear it talking about Android anywhere in there. Only Apple. But I do have one problem with iPhones and Apple. It seems as though as they bring out updates, our phones just get slower and slower, right? Until eventually they're so slow that you can't use them and you're forced to go and buy a new one. You can take the option not to update your phone, but eventually still everyone else's phone surpasses you to the point where nothing works anymore. People message you and you don't seem to receive them. At least that's the young adult's excuse every time I message them. (laughs) You start to make calls and people can't make a connection. You can't actually hear them on the other end. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's no problem on the outside of the phone, unless you're my wife where I bought her a case that you can drop out of space and still not break. There's nothing wrong with the phone on the outside, but there's a malfunction on the inside. And I think it's kind of a picture of mental health. People don't walk around broken on the outside. We don't look at people and go, they've got a cracked screen. But still there is something going on on the inside. And just like my iPhone, when it comes to mental illness, depression, and anxiety, the first thing that happens is we stop receiving messages. Life seems to be dulled. Joy seems to be distant. And the second thing that happens, just like the iPhone as well, is you can't seem to make a connection. When you finally reach out or speak up, it seems like nobody can hear you. Depression is complicated. And when you feel this way, it feels as though if you shared it with someone, it would just destroy everything. But we make the mistake of digging it down on the inside and eventually it destroys you. And so we can't stay silent about this anymore. I mean, the world has figured this out, haven't they? It's the introduction of Are You OK Day. We've got to get loud about mental health and illness. And at Eastlake, we say that we are Jesus followers, we are hope traffickers, and we are your local church. That means that you can belong here, even when you don't believe, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't understand, because depression is complicated. Depression is complicated, but it's also one of the most common illnesses in today's society. One psychologist wrote that depression is the common cold to our emotions. Depression is this feeling of sorrow and gloom, all mixed together with this feeling of slowing down, and it's not just felt in the head, it's felt in the entire body, in your stomach as well. And what this society or our world is trying to do today is trying to get rid of this stigma, Because there's a stigma around mental health as well, isn't there? You would have noticed it. People are ashamed to speak up about it. People don't want to tell anyone that they're seeing a counselor or getting medication for fear of someone else going, oh, shouldn't you have that figured out by now? Shouldn't you be over that? And the church has stepped wrongly in this space too, just telling you to pray more. Worship harder. Make sure you're at every Sunday, you better. But we've made mistakes in this space as well. And we've created this space where we don't want to talk about it. But this morning, I want to get loud about mental health. As your pastor this morning, I want to get loud about mental health and tell you we are removing the stigma. You're not weak. You're not alone. This better be the safest place in the world that you get to journey through your struggles. And I mean that this morning. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. I have one mission this morning, and it's to push people, sorry, (laughs) that are struggling into community. I want to create a space that it's safe to say, I'm not okay. That it's safe to speak up and let people know how you're going. I wanna preface this by saying I'm no psychologist. I can't even spell psychologist. (laughs) In this very bit that I wrote in my notes, I was auto-correcting, psychologist, I just can't do it. I'm no psychologist, but I do know that there are some things, some issues that we're dealing with today that are lifestyle issues. It's just a fact. As our world has got better, some things have declined. And I believe that there's things in this world that are causing anxiety and depression to rise. Things like our comparison culture that we live in. Social media is hurting some of you. I just took three days off social media at the beginning of this week. Some people joined me out there. And I didn't realize I had a problem until Monday morning. Lee said to me, can you check the weather on your phone? So I reached over and I checked the weather and about 30 seconds later, she said, what are you doing? And I looked at my phone and I didn't even realise I was scrolling through Facebook already. And I was like through my phone as if it was some sort of contagious thing. But I realised in those three days that I've got some work to do. Social media is hurting some of us and social media is a tool. It's good the question we need to ask ourselves is, is the tool using us or are we using the tool? Social media is kind of funny. It tricks us into comparing the lowest parts of our lives with other people's highlight reels, doesn't it? And what we need to know, though, and what we already know about comparison is that comparison always kills contentment. We have never been more connected and yet more isolated as a society. I never knew I was unhappy until I saw how happy you were on Instagram. I never knew I needed a stick vacuum until everyone started posting about how awesome their stick vacuums are. Guess what we got this week? A stick vacuum. Lee said it had to be a Dyson. I didn't even know. And even in a place like this, even in church, Instagram can be a pastor's worst enemy. Because on Instagram, everyone posts the best 10 seconds of their message. On Instagram, everyone posts the photos of the largest service that they had during the year and sort of trickles them out. And we can find ourselves comparing day after day, minute after minute, thumb scroll after thumb scroll. So what do we need to do? We need to stop comparing and start looking inward on what we can control. We're going to rejoice, like we said last week. I have a house to vacuum. I have a church to worship in. We live in a comparison culture, but also we live in a fatherless generation. Two generations have passed now where 50% of marriages are broken. Kids are growing up without dads. And sometimes even when the dad is there, he's not really present. Scripture tells us that the father's role is to help shape the children's identity. Hebrews talks all about it. It's about affirming and correcting, encouraging and disciplining, helping shape the children's identity. And I don't know if you've looked around recently, but in 2020, people are having major identity crisis. We've never been louder about identity. And at the same time, never been more confused. Did you know that the leading cause of death in Australia between the ages of 15 and 44 is suicide? If you look at statistics in the US, I couldn't find them here in Australia, but 60% of youth suicides came from a fatherless home. 90% of youth runaways came from a fatherless home. Now, I don't want you to sit there thinking, oh, well, I'm stuck then. What am I going to do? I want you to know what Scripture says about this. I'm thankful for a God who says that if I am in Christ Jesus, He says that He is a father to the fatherless. And so I want to speak that over you this morning, but I also want to tell you that we still need community because we still need men rising up saying, I'll be a dad for you. I'll help shape your identity. You're a child of God. We live in this comparison culture, but we also live in a fatherless generation. Now, it's not my style at all to stand up here and speak against culture. It's not my style, and it's not this church either. We love our city. We want to invade our city with life, with love, and with life. And we would rather change culture from within it. Then stand on the sideline and say, hey, you're all messed up over there. We do have to understand, though, that we're facing certain things and why it is. Suicide, it's deceiving. It's deceiving. It's spreading like wildfire. It's not my opinion. It's fact. Suicide is contagious. It's called the Werther effect. In 1774, a guy called Goethe wrote a book called The Sorrows of Young Werther, and in it, it depicted this story of love, but also of rejection, and eventually Young Werther committing suicide. And as the book was released, the increase in suicides was unprecedented. Men copycatting to the point where they had to ban the book to stop people repeating the behavior. Suicide is deceptive. I conducted way too many funerals last year to suicide. Sat with people when there's no words to say, only tears to cry. Boys as young as 16. So I came this morning to challenge you. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, There are better ways to kill your sadness. You don't have to die to end your pain. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You have more to live for. Emotions change. My prayer is this morning that one hour from now, you'll feel differently. And I know in a room this size, there are people that are struggling. And there are people who are not. Okay, I want to prophesy over you this morning. There is still more to live for. It's always too soon to quit. And your God is declaring over you that the best is yet to come. We love you. We love you. Suicide is deceptive. It lies to us. It tells us that it's going to solve our problems. And I want to bring this directly in church. If you whack up that number, if you are struggling right now, there is absolutely no problem with seeking a solution like Lifeline. And I want to bring that into church and say, it's okay. If you're watching online, the number is 13 11 14. You don't have to die to end your pain. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a deception. Ooh, it's kind of freaky. (laughs) Elijah, the guy from our scripture today, he was a fierce man of God. If you look at his resume, it's incredible. He was the guy that went to the widow's house and raised a dead boy to life, from death to life. You can read about how there was a time when he was in the wilderness and he was fed by ravens. I know a lot of you look at me as the pastor and think that must be how I eat. It's not true. It's McDonald's over the road. (laughs) Elijah, he was the guy that beat a horse in a foot race. He was the guy, and there's a little bit of a debate about Enoch, but let's just say Elijah's the only one that we read about in the Bible that doesn't die. He gets taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Who doesn't want that? And yet all of these accolades, all of these high moments, and we find him in a very different place in chapter 19. In chapter 19, he's asking God to take his life. In chapter 19, he wants to end his life. And what we discover is that even after his greatest achievement, it was followed by one of his greatest disappointments. To understand what was happening here, we have to look a chapter further, uh, chapter earlier in chapter 18. It was another one of his moments. He was on the top of Mount Carmel, and there was uh, 800 plus other prophets on the other side, Elijah and the prophets, and they were having this showdown to discover whose God was the real God. And they set up this altar and this offering, and they said, whoever could bring fire down from heaven and burn it up, their God would be the real God. So Elijah said, you guys go first. And so the prophets started dancing around and singing. They even started cutting themselves. But to no avail. And the whole time Elijah, all on his own, is trash talking them. And then he says, okay, okay, you guys are done. I'm going to jump up. He digs a moat around, fills it with water, pours water all over the top just to make it that little bit harder. And then steps back and prays a simple prayer to our God. And fire comes down from heaven licks up all of the water, and burns up the offering. And everyone there that day declared Elijah's God is the one true God. And then in classic Old Old Testament style, Elijah orders orders all the prophets to be killed. (laughs) Aren't you glad we don't live in the time of the Old Testament anymore? But after his greatest achievement, it was followed by his greatest disappointment. Sometimes we've got to know that after a mountaintop experience, as we call them in church, there's a time that we step back into the valley. And so this morning, you might be all good, baby on the way, business is going good, and that's awesome. I don't want to scare you this morning, but I do want to prepare you, because if you don't learn to guard your heart and to guard your mind, then you can be susceptible to deception. It's the truth. And what does God say about the truth? The truth will set us free. And so I want to explore three quick truths from this passage of Scripture this morning. Are you ready? The first is this. Fear causes anxiety. Depression has a cousin. His name is anxiety. The other side of depression is anxiety. If depression is this feeling of being enveloped by darkness and this constriction and this squashing, then anxiety is like our life being stretched thin, being stretched so thin that we lose all control. And Typically, anxiety and depression, they follow each other. And as you watch in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 2, right after this mountaintop experience, right after Elijah is trash-talking the prophets, it says that now Ahab, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, who was the enemy, sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life Elijah like that of one of them. This threat comes from Elijah. And what does Elijah do? After all of this experience, fear creeps in and he runs. Fear causes anxiety. And the crazy thing about anxiety, is that as it begins to set in, our thinking starts getting messed up. Our thinking becomes illogical. Our thinking gets faulty and we start making decisions that aren't smart. Don't you think it's kind of weird that Elijah is running from death and then asks God to take his life? He's so afraid that he's going to die that he asks God, kill me. It doesn't make sense, does it? Now, I don't think that he really feared death. I think that he feared losing control. And that's what anxiety, it does to us. It messes with our mind. Fear is always false evidence appearing real. That's why we're people of God, people of faith and not fear. Fear, it leads us down a path to death. Faith, it leads us to life and life more abundantly. For so many of us today, anxiety is stretching us thin, making us feel out of control. Do you know what I've learned? That when we're in that space, we need to stop listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves. Speaking to ourselves this truth that we talk about in His Word. Fear, it causes anxiety, but also depression, it detaches us from people. Isolation is not where you want to fight your battle. For so many things in this life, God's remedy is other people. And Elijah, makes this mistake. In verse three, we read that he was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to be a Sheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He leaves his servant behind, goes into the wilderness, the one place you don't want to go alone, and he's thinking, starts getting messed up. Look at verse 10. He says, "The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, Lord. And now they're trying to kill me too." In isolation, we start getting these new thoughts. I'm alone. No one gets me. I'm a failure. Nobody would miss me. And we feed ourselves this toxic thinking, I'm the only one left. And it's the deception that depression does to us because the truth is that so many times people are the solution and we can't afford to go it alone. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I do know you can't do it alone. I don't know what you're going through this morning and I don't need you to tell me. But you do need someone that you can speak to because God can't heal what we continue to hide. We need each other. We need community. But in community, we need to be who we really are in order for us to receive what we really need. Thanks, Alex. It's true because isolation intensifies our problems, whereas community cures problems. Fear causes anxiety. Depression, it detaches us from people. But the last truth from this scripture is this. You have to get up to discover your purpose. You have to get up to discover your purpose. Here is Elijah, he's on borderline suicide watch. Take my life, he says to God. And you think God would respond to this big spiritual man in some big spiritual way, wouldn't you? But look at what happens in verse 5. It says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water and he ate and he drank and then he lay down. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for this journey is too much for you. I want you to hear this with the right heart this morning. But for some of you, a lot of problems would be solved if you got eight hours sleep at night. That's not a blanket answer for everyone's issues. But it is for certainly some things. God sends an angel. That's supernatural. But what does the angel do? Get up, eat, go back to bed. Get up, eat, go back to bed. You see, there's this rhythm that we discover through scripture and seen in Jesus' life as well. Get up, eat, work, rest. Yet when we're in a state of depression. We have no motivation to get up. Yet if we obey the rhythm, good sleep, consistent food, get up, eat, work, rest, get up, eat work, rest, we begin to discover direction, we begin to discover purpose, we begin to discover energy again. You don't have to die. You might just need to change your diet. Again, that is not a blanket answer. I want you to hear me this morning. There's a rhythm to life. At night, God works on our behalf. We've got to get up. The angel says to him, eat some more food. This journey is too big for you. You know what that tells me? God isn't even giving us hard stuff to do. He's giving us impossible stuff to do. It's too much for you. And so if I'm going to see God work in the supernatural, I better do my best in the natural. I better do my best with what I can do before I ask God for what He can do. And eventually, Elijah finds himself at the end of the journey. And he's in this cave on this mountain of God. And wind comes and fire comes. And this storm comes. But God isn't in any of these things until the Scripture describes to us this still, small voice. A whisper speaks to Elijah. Why does he speak to us in a whisper? Because he is close. He's close to you in your depression. He's close to you in your anxiety. He's close to you in your pain. He is with you. And he speaks to Elijah, and even still Elijah says, no, you don't understand. His fear is speaking. When God says back to him, basically, no, you don't understand. You thought you were alone, but there were 7,000 other righteous men in Israel. Go back to where you ran from, God tells him. I've got a guy for you. His name is Elisha. And in this moment, Elijah discovers his purpose. God explains to him that if he joins up with Elisha and sets him off on his path, path, even greater miracles, he will see. But he had to get up to discover his purpose. I want you to know this morning that if you've journeyed through depression, It hasn't ended the mission or the purpose on your life. We've got to get up to discover our purpose. And I don't know what getting up looks like for you today. Getting up might look like saying, I'm going to fight back. Getting up might look like fighting for rhythm. Getting up might look like getting connected at church, joining a group. Staying five minutes longer after the service, even though I know how painful that can be. Well, I've heard, I'm an extrovert, I don't quite know. Getting up for you. Getting up might be, hey, I'm gonna go for that job. Getting up might be saying, maybe God can do something with my life. Suicide, anxiety, depression, They aren't things that just go away. They deceive us. They make us think, if I just lie down here, everything is going to get better. But it's not the rhythm of life. It's not how it works. You have to get up to discover your purpose. God is declaring over you this morning, the best is yet to come. You still have more to live for. And it is always, always too soon to quit. Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna go into a time like the last week and over the next couple of weeks as we journey through mental illness, where we're gonna be inviting you to take a step forward. If you would like us to pray for you, and we're gonna do it in a COVID safe way. We've got some people that are gonna stand up on stage and they might feel a bit awkward, so look after them. Because they're going to stand here and they're going to pray over you. Declare the truth of God's word over you. And we're going to spend this time worshiping. And maybe it's this time in worship that you're choosing to get up in your spirit again. Maybe you can spend this time in prayer over that person that you know in your life that is struggling. You know, for me, I sat with a family last year whose mother had died from suicide. And I sat with her daughters and her mother and they asked me to pray this prayer. They said, Josh, can you pray that she'll go to heaven? I didn't know what to say. I don't know how all that stuff works in all honesty, but I know that I can't pray that prayer I pray and I hope that you went to that place. God, that's His stuff. But you know I've got my stuff, my choices that I can make and choices that you can make this morning to choose to believe in God's Son, Jesus, that He was sent to die on a cross for our sins, for our brokenness, for our sickness, so that when we would choose to believe in Him, we would have eternal life. Jesus came into this earth and He said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say it was going to be perfect. And I'm not saying that choosing to follow Jesus this morning will make your life better. But I do know that it will be filled with real love, true purpose, and a life that you may never have experienced before. And so I want to give that opportunity to anyone. If we could just bow our heads, If you want to make that decision to invite Him into your life, it's a simple step. Scripture tells us that if we believe in our heart and declare with our mouth that He is Lord, we will be saved. It's not something you have to do. It's not some way you have to act. That all comes after by the power of His grace and Holy Spirit. Right now, it's an issue of faith. So if you want to make that decision, I'm just going to ask you. We're all standing, so it would be awesome if you could whack your hand up real high so that I could see you and pray with you. If you're out there right now, I would love to do that with you. Just raise up your hand and we'll pray this prayer together as a church. those joining us online as well. Dear Lord, come into my heart. I declare that you are king. Forgive me, Lord, for where I've stuffed up. Help me to live my life according to your will and your way. Heal me Give me peace. I want to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.